Dan Aykroyd. Four days ago, he broke out from the nuthouse. I don't want to escape with you. I hate you. I can accept that. Now he's impersonating a rich psychiatrist in Beverly Hills. Is there anything more expensive than first class? Dan Aykroyd and Walter Matthau, The Couch Trip. I finally found a place I fit in as well as I do the nuthouse. Beverly Hills. Rated R. You like it, the juice? You like it, the no? Again? Ah, uh, yeah. Fuck this movie, man. This was, whew, this was bad. This was bad, okay, bad, I, bad, bad, bad. I just want to state for the record that I suggested we watch that treasure hunting talking dog movie with Norm Macdonald, and I feel like we could have gotten more out of it. Oh that. yeah, I, I, I said I asked you this morning. I was like, are we doing the couch trip or are we doing Tale to the Chief? I mean, well, Tale of the Chief, I mean, it's a dumb thing we do where we watch the sequels before the originals, but I just, I don't know, I, I didn't want to watch, like, the fourth movie in a fucking talking dog. I know, I wasn't into it either. I was like, man, I can't watch Tale of the Chief today. And after watching The Couch Trip, I'm like, give me some fucking Tale of the Chief. I need me some fucking Tale of the Chief to cleanse my I would rather watch palate. fucking Good Boy again than this piece of shit. Oh, my God. Yeah, this was just boring. Um, nonsensical, but not in a fun way. Like, I was thinking about... I always compare movies we watch for the podcast to other movies we've watched for the podcast. I was thinking, like, Dr. Detroit. That doesn't make sense. That's a bad movie, but it doesn't make sense in a fun way. It's like, whoa, what the fuck's going on? Now he's like a southern lawyer, like, out of the blue. This doesn't make sense. Like, the plot of this movie makes no fucking sense. But just in a boring-ass, boring way. Well, it's because the reason for it is kind of clear. Like with Dr. Detroit, the fascinating thing about that movie is like, what the fuck? What are they trying for? What are they doing? Whereas this, you're asking those same questions, but I think the answer is kind of obvious. Michael Ritchie is just a bad storyteller. But this is worse than other Michael Ritchie movies. Like, what's the Michael Ritchie movies we've watched? Um, Oh, by the way, we watched The Couch Trip. I don't think we said that yet. Um, We watched uh, A Simple Wish, Fletch, Fletch Lives, and Cops and Robbersons. All of those movies are more fun than The Couch Trip, right? Like, they're all bad movies, but they're at least fun bad movies. This wasn't fun at all, except for the fucking Chevy Chase condom commercial, which I th- the whole podcast is just going to be about that when we get to it. Well, because as I was watching it, the only quote-unquote fun I was having was pointing out just how badly constructed the plot was to the point where, like, all the complications of the story would never happen in real life because you could just point out the instantly like, oh, this is why that makes no fucking sense. This is why this would never happen because something else would happen that would just like, why is no one questioning this guy? You have other psychiatrists there who are like, he's clearly one of us. It's just all at every point. There's a thing where it's like, why is there a TV on in the plane just to happen to show him the thing that he was watching in the bar in the airport? There's, like, moments like that, but that's not fun. That's just being a dick. Yeah, well, and not just that. It's just, like, the ease of Dan Aykroyd swimming through life in this movie. This is one of those mistaken identity movies where it's, like, a con man assuming another role. Like, a house guest. And there's a way to make this movie fun. You just make fucking House Guest, one of my favorite movies that we've watched on the podcast. First off, but do, fuck wait, you. Wait, wait, wait. House Guest was not fun. But doesn't this make House Guest look great? Well, I in mean, in comparison, don't you appreciate House Guest because of this movie? I feel like House Guest understood that it was a comedy, at least. Like, it was goofy where it needed to be goofy. So, like, it was totally more consistent. Whereas this, it, it does not know what kind of movie it wants to be. It's a comedy, it's a drama, it's, it's both, it's neither. It just bounces around, and I it, I never got a sense of what they were trying to do tonally. Yeah, sometimes it felt like a, a Marx Brothers movie where it's like wacky hijinks, and then sometimes it felt like very grounded, and then sometimes in the same scene it would feel like that. Like near the end, Charles Grodin, is, his performance is like big and over the top and manic. He's wielding a gun at people, and then everyone else is grounded around him. So it's like, yeah, Michael Ritchie, if a director's main job is establishing the tone of a film... This is a huge failure because at least those other Michael Ritchie movies, Simple Wish, Fletch, Fletch Lives, Cops and Robertsons, I at least knew they were trying to be a comedy. And I don't remember, well, you talk about Michael Ritchie and and I blame all of this on him. 
just like the editing of the movie, and I know he wasn't the editor technically, but like his, I'm sure he, he was supervising the edit to make sure that his vision of what this movie is shown through and like just scene transitions are just really haphazard and weird and like just the like scene to scene like the mechanics of like what's happening in this to set up the next thing like something like like, i know he's escaping from the the asylum but the stuff that he's doing to do that i don't understand what he's doing like he's got to fix some machine it's like that shit should be clear when you're making a movie like this and it's like and it's not like an overly complicated plot, but it's just basic shit that I'm like, I'm not able to follow this because the director doesn't give a shit that I'm following it or not. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's also the script's fault, too. I mean, nothing fucking happens in this movie on like a grand scheme. It's, well, I guess we'll explain the plot real quick. Uh, the couch trip, Dan Aykroyd is kind of like um, a one flew over the cuckoo's nest type dude. He's a, a prisoner. Did he go to prison for being a con man? I, I guess. That's the implication. I forgot. The, the idea is that whatever he was in prison for, he, he tricked the warden into thinking he was insane so that he, so that he could go to a an asylum instead because I guess that's better. Uh, yeah, well, that's the same thing. That's It's the same plot as One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Jack Nicholson is a prisoner who pretends to be crazy so he can get, like, a lighter sentence, you know, because you don't want to be raped all day, you know, so you go to the mental ward. I get that, but I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have fucking lobotomized him in prison. I mean, that's true, but, you know, I, that's a different movie. <laughs> the couch trip and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, we shouldn't be talking about them in the same breath. You know what would be great is if this movie ended with Dan Aykroyd getting a fucking lobotomy. Oh my god, that would have been amazing. Thrown out of Cornell, dumped by the army, sentenced to four years in Joliet for computer fraud. I'm a pathetic human being, sir. A pathological misfit with delusions of grandeur. I think Jung said it best, or perhaps it was from the Anatomy of Human Destructiveness by Eric Fromm. Burns, a little learning is a dangerous thing. Do I at least get points for self-knowledge? No, what you get, Mr. Smartass, is your transfer back to prison. You're here because you were able to convince a bleeding heart warden that you were crazy. Well, I know you're not crazy. You're just another asshole looking for a way out. Now, this order is undated and unsigned. And it stays that way if you behave. If not, your ass is back in prison. Need I say more? Um, but he gets a call while he's in the head psychiatrist's office from Charles Grodin's assistant saying, Charles Grodin is going on sabbatical. He's a psychiatrist with a radio show. We need someone to fill in for him. Will you do it, the psychiatrist? And But Dan Aykroyd intercepts that call and he's like, oh yeah, I'll do it. You're going to pay me a million dollars a year? Absolutely. I'll be on a plane tomorrow and meet you there. And so he's going to take oh he's going to pretend to be the psychiatrist the head of the psychiatry wing to pretend uh, to fill in for Charles Grodin in Beverly Hills and he just assumes this plan is going to work scot free and one thing you left out of that one of the many just unnecessarily dumb things in this movie they don't tell him the the person that they think is Dr. Bear the real doctor they don't tell him, oh, and by the way, you're also going to be hosting a radio show. He doesn't find out about that until he shows up at the radio station and he's like, oh, wait, you want me to be on a radio show too? Well, uh, plot-wise, why would they keep that from him? Because they kind of make a little thing. They're like, oh, yeah, well, we'll tell him about the radio show when he gets here because, like, he probably wouldn't have taken the gig. So, wait, they're just having him, they're billing it as, like, we're going to have you fill in for Charles Grodin's patience and... Why does Dan Aykroyd jump to this? Well, see, that's... By the way. Well, that's the other thing. It's like... <laughs> he just gets his call and he's like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do now. It's like he just knew the movie had to start. So he's like, okay, this is the inciting incident, this phone call. I have to jump at this opportunity. He's in the he's in a mental hospital. But more... And they're threatening him to take him back to prison. And he's like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll escape the mental hospital and be this guy. But more to the point... The ease at which he escapes the mental hospital suggests he could have basically done it at any time. And he had enough in, uh, impetus to want to wanna leave when they're like, I'm going to send you back to butt-rape prison. And he's like, okay, I'm going to get out of here. He didn't need, like, oh, and I've, I've got to get to the airport. I guess they gave they bought him a prepaid ticket that he could buy, like he could get at the airport without having to provide any photo identification. He's just like, I'm Dr. Baird. He's like, here's a ticket for Dr. Baird. Here you go. You're dressed like a crazy man, but I'm not going to question that. 
But, like, you could have just, like, escaped and went to fucking Mexico right away, which is what they do at the end. Right. Why not just do that? But, like, because that's the stupid thing about this movie is, like, there's all these movie, uh, you know, plot coincidences. But the main character seems to know that those are all going to happen, but, like, they won't be hindrances to him. So, like, when he gets that call, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just escape the mental hospital. As if I could have done that yesterday. Like, if you could have escaped the mental hospital so easily... Why haven't you done it already? And then once he gets to the place where he's pretending to be Dr. Baird, and like, they're, oh, you're in a hotel room, and they're making jokes, like he's like running up the tab and shit and calling for room service and everything. Okay, chill out, have some room service, I guess, and then leave so they can't catch you in that grift. Because like, what are you going to do? Like, there's a point where he becomes like a public celebrity. He's on TV and shit, and it's like, you're on the run from the law, motherfucker. He's, yeah, he's on television, and he's like, hey, I'm Dr. Baird. I'm on TV. He doesn't think this is going to get back to the real Dr. Baird, the guy who has the power to send him back to prison? Well, because there's a point towards the end of the movie where he's become he's so successful at faking uh, this identity and becoming popular with like the listeners of the radio show and everything that the uh, people that brought him in, and they brought him in as like a ringer. Like, we don't want anybody too good. We want somebody that, you know, we can just have in until Groden gets back. But they're like, he's so good, we just might as well replace Charles Groden with this guy and get him a TV show. And so they're like, let's give him a contract. And I think the implication, because like Dan Aykroyd is like reluctant to sign the contract. And the only thing I can assume is he's like, oh, uh, if I sign this contract, that'll give away the game, I guess. Like that, it's like a commitment that I can't make because I'm faking it. But it's like, you're already on TV, dude. Like, sign the fucking contract and then get out of there. Yeah, and can we can we just start with how fucking sucky Dan Aykroyd is? Like, I'm supposed to like this character. I'll go ahead and go back to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest as a comparison. You like Jack Nicholson. Even though he's a prisoner, like, you like him. I did not like Dan Aykroyd, and they didn't give me any reason to like him. Or follow him to the point where, as far as I'm concerned, he's the villain of this story. Well, I feel like part of that is just the time of this. This is an 80s movie, and I feel like there was a type of sort of snarky anti-hero that was from the 60s, 70s, and 80s that they don't do anymore. Like, when we were watching this, we were like, yeah, why isn't this character likable? But, like... Bill Murray in Ghostbusters is a similar kind of, you know, he's a Serbic, witty, ne'er-do-well character, and he's, you know, likable. And I would say even Fletch, uh, you know, and, and Chevy Chase in that kind of kit role is generally likable. You know, but, but I feel like maybe we're just not as used to it. Like, now, the closest you get to that is, like, like Tony Stark and Iron Man or, you know, fucking Star-Lord and Guardians of the Galaxy where, like, you know, they're superheroes, so that at least they have, like, this amazing thing that... Like, the idea of just a guy who's funny because he's an asshole and that's why you like him, I don't think we really have that anymore. Well, you mentioned Bill Murray. Bill Murray can pull that up, so I think it's just Dan Aykroyd's fault. But I don't think he'd be able to pull it off now. Mm-hmm. Or anybody can pull that off now. I don't think we have that really now. What's the last kind of character like that that you can think of? I guess maybe House from the show House. There's probably some. Like, everything J.K. Simmons does. I like J.K. Simmons. Yeah, but he's never the lead in anything when he's playing those kind of characters. That's why I think Dan Aykroyd... I think maybe this movie would be better if it was Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd's part. Because, yeah, but I feel like this this was like the archetype of this... Like, like every other comedy had a, a lead character like this. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's just like a more nuanced, hard thing to pull off where you have to have natural charisma, which is not to say that Dan Aykroyd doesn't, but I just think Dan Aykroyd seems like kind of a schlub to me. Like, he comes off like Ray Stans in Ghostbusters. He's a likable character. Uh, you know, I, there are movies where, I'm trying to think if there's another movie that he's in that I find him likable in. Well, he can play unlikable that. very well. Like, um, I'm thinking, even though this wasn't a good movie, in the great outdoors, he's an unlikable character, but that's the point. You're not supposed to like him. Uh, one of my favorite roles of his uh, was in Gross Point Blank, where it's the same thing. He's playing like the villain of that movie. I think he's wrong for comedies. Yeah, because I'm trying to think like tra- Trading Places. He's not likable in that, and he's not supposed to be, but he's not unlikable in a way that I appreciate or enjoy. Whereas Eddie Murphy's character in that is meant to be like like that same kind of like shyster character 
but he's likable. Yeah. So yeah, it's just a matter of, of maybe he just can't pull it off. And I just I I guess I just never thought of it in that context before. But so many of his roles are I'm I'm thinking of fucking uh it's the movie he directed that was horrifying. Um, uh, oh, Nothing But Trouble. <laughs> nothing But Trouble, where he plays probably the most unlikable character ever in film. And actually, but it kind of works for that movie. His performance in Nothing But Trouble, I I didn't have a problem with his performance. <laughs> I have a problem with his direction of that movie. But I didn't have a problem with his performance in that. But even that, even characters like Ray Stans, where he's like, because like, like, like Loose Cannons, he's not likable in that. Maybe Dan Aykroyd does just suck. I, I don't think he sucks. I just, like I said, I just think he's wrong for comedy. It goes back to, like, uh, Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx, if you knew him in real life, you would hate that motherfucker. Like, he'd be the worst human being in the world. But when you watch a Marx Brothers movie, you're just on Groucho's side just because he's fucking funny, you know? Well, I think it's also a question of what universe are they in. Where Are they in a universe that punishes or rewards the behavior? Or it's like a Kirby Enthusiasm thing where there's no... Like it, it's like almost nihilistic. The the like the the you know the, the the presence of karma in the universe has to kind of be aligned in a certain way. And there is no world building in this movie. There's no like establishing like what are we supposed to? Like, what what is our expectation supposed to be for this character? Should we expect him to be rewarded for his behavior by the end or punished for it? We never get a sense of that because Michael Ritchie never establishes that kind of moral universe. Yeah, no, you don't get a handle on any of the characters. Even though they, like, set them up individually, it's like we are introduced to Dan Aykroyd and then we're introduced to Charles Grodin and they both have, like, ten minutes of, of screen time where they're setting up their characters. I still don't know who the fuck they are. And I think I'm just supposed to be on Dan Aykroyd's side just because he's Dan Aykroyd and he's the lead of the movie. Well, also, I think I think what they were going for is, like, an amoral everyone's kind of an asshole, like, you know, two con men bouncing off each other with him and Walter Matthau, who you could take his character out of the movie completely and it wouldn't change much. I don't understand what the hell Walter Matthau's character was doing in the film. I I but totally like, lost track of the plot. But you have, like, Charles Grodin and the real guy that he's, the Dr. Baird guy that he's playing, and the, the lawyer that's cheating on Grodin's wife. You have all these characters, and they're all basically sort of, you know, uh, shitty people. So I think it was it was I think it was maybe intended to be like a darker, more cynical satirical commentary thing than it actually was, but it just feels like a typical jaunty eighties comedy because every other scene has that fucking trumpet. Oh my god, yeah, the fucking score to this movie. It, it happens during like every time Dan Aykroyd's doing like a little bit of comic shtick, as if the editor of this movie was like, I don't think people are gonna realize this is supposed to be funny. So then Dan Aykroyd will be, like, bouncing around somewhere, and you'll just hear... And it's so fucking annoying. The whole movie is scored by a fucking tuba. And it's it's like, I think all the stuff in this movie that I'm noticing heavily is like... And that I'm ascribing to Michael Ritchie is like he's a bad filmmaker. I feel like this has been in all the other Michael Ritchie stuff we've seen. It was just less in your face like it's more understated in those movies whereas here it's just all of his worst impulses tuned up to 11 I don't know man but I so I think this is uh, a worse movie than all the other Michael Ritchie movies just because it's a more boring movie I mean like again like Cops and Robertsons that movie had some shit in it I, I fucking bad Chevy Chase vamp it had a vampire kid in it like that movie had some shit that I could like latch on to this movie just nothing. I literally almost fell asleep. Uh, like, And I was losing track of the plot. Not because I'm like... I, my PlayStation's right here. I could have been playing PlayStation. I wasn't. I was looking at the screen. And I was I, watching it. But my eyes were just like glazing over. <laughs> I, I just, mean... We record this remotely. You don't know <laughs> how long I was on my phone. I, I There was like ten minutes in the middle of the movie where I was trying to look up IMDB trivia to see if there was any interesting thing to talk about with this film. But there was like nothing... Like, literally, I'm staring at the fucking movie. I'm, I'm watching it. I'm paying attention. Five minutes would go by, and I'm like, wait, what happened? I, I just zoned the fuck out. Dan Aykroyd's voice in this movie just makes my eyes glaze over. He talks so fast. I think he's trying to be like a smooth-talking guy, but it's just like very fast monotone talking. And I just cannot focus on anything he's saying. My friend, I think at this juncture I should explain something to you. 
I was born in a lovely little Midwestern town, Webster City, Iowa, maybe you know it. Lived on a quiet street, beautiful little white house. Well, outside my bedroom window, there was a spectacular, huge, giant elm tree. One night, there was a fierce hailstorm. That tree was hit by lightning and fell, took out half the house, and killed my puppy, Dwayne. Ever since then, no plant has been a friend of mine. When the thing about the movie is the one sort of legitimate through line of the movie is bullshit. It's like, because the idea is he's a con man and he's you know trying to get away with something. And so you have all these, these situations where, oh, is he going to get caught here? Is he going to get hot, caught here? But the joke is, every time he does something fucking crazy, they're like, that was great what you did there. You're clearly who you say you are. And it's almost like a parody of that trope. Of like, it doesn't matter what he does, everybody loves him. House Guest does the same thing, but I feel like that movie kind of knew what it was doing when yes, it was doing uh, it. it. That's why I loved House Guest, is because House Guest was playing with this mistaken identity concept and doing something with it and kind of winking at itself, like, yeah, we know this plot is stupid. Just buckle in, man. We'll have some fun with it. This movie never let you have any fun with it because there's also no adversaries. Like, again, going back to Groucho Marx. When Groucho Marx is doing all his shenanigans, there's always someone, like, more of an asshole than Groucho Marx that you can, like, oh, okay, well, yeah, Groucho Marx is an asshole, but he's not as big as an asshole as Mr. Drysdale, you know? Like, yeah, he's got to get his comeuppance. This movie had no villain. I mean, they have Charles Grodin and the other guy who are, like, constantly on their way to be adversaries and finally, like, in the last ten minutes get there only to be thwarted by just everybody else around them was like, we just, I guess we just like this guy better. Yeah, I, I did not really understand the ending. Charles Grodin, okay. So... Well, it tries to get to like that wacky climax where everything's coming together, but it, it just falls so flat because you don't give a shit about any of it. I know, and I just I, I just realized that we're like 20 minutes into this. I, I don't feel like we've explained what this movie's about. Does it fucking matter? No, but if someone's <laughs> listening to this and they're like, oh yeah, what's the couch trip about? I don't know, but it's got a tuba score and it sucks. <laughs> but like, some people might want to know what it's about, you know? You click on this thing about the couch trip. What's the couch trip about, man? See, and when you talk about lack of adversaries, I feel like you had two opportunities. You have the one guy who's like the censor, the guy from Ghostbusters who's the hotel manager. Like, he could have been like a like a censor who's like, oh, he's saying too many naughty things on the radio. Or you have the girl who's another psychiatrist who could be like, I don't think you're a real psychiatrist, and like getting suspicious. Instead, it's like, I found out you weren't a psychiatrist, but I also don't care. Yeah, no, everything goes according to fucking plan. In a movie where the whole thing should be the plan unraveling. That's the whole point of this. Exactly, that would be the fun of it, is like, when's Dan Aykroyd going to get caught? You never get that because... Dan Aykroyd shows up, and they're like, oh, here's your uh, radio studio, Dan Aykroyd. Uh, just go over there and, and take some callers. And Dan Aykroyd uh, like, kind of goes off script, and he starts acting more like a, like a shock jock, you know? Like the yeah. radio caller calls in and is like, and hey. This would have been, been pre-Howard Stern, right? Um, I think so. Well, I looked up some of the trivia, and apparently they uh, shot that in Rush Limbaugh's studio. So Rush Limbaugh was around at this time. Oh, I guess. Okay, so at least that kind of bombastic personality was a thing. Yeah, but I associate that more with, like, 90s, I think. Like, I... I, Maybe that's that's just because I wasn't alive in the 80s listening to talk radio. Maybe it was always a thing, but I just... But they treated it like, you know, Dan Aykroyd's taking the caller on the radio, and she's like, hey, here's my problem, and he's like, okay, what, what you're really talking about is penis and vagina. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah, let's go get fucked. How do you like to get fucked, bitch? And then the people behind the glass are like, ooh, no, that's a bad thing. Okay, now, Idon, what really goes through your head when you think about having lunch with this man? Just off the top. Uh, a nice time. Maybe flowers on the table and glasses of wine. Now, come on, now, what are you really thinking about? Um, I, I guess it's a lot of flattery, too. Come on, Ida. You're thinking penis and vagina here, right? What? Maybe he throws you on the table, spills the wine, knocks over the flowers, and you do it right there? No, Dr. Baird, it would ruin my marriage. Right, but what do you care? Some hot sex in the afternoon. I mean, when was the last time you had it? It'd be worth it, wouldn't it? No, absolutely not. I love my husband. I want my marriage. I was just talking about lunch. Bullshit, you were not talking about lunch. 
You're talking about hot, sweaty bodies in a steaming, humping mass. Well, well, I... <laughs> well yeah, I did. I laughed at that scene because after uh, Dan Aykroyd says all this shit, <laughs> like the head of the radio station comes in and goes, "Everything's going great," but you said "fuck" four times. <laughs> like, why not just fire him? If you, this is his first day on the job. They don't know him. He's filling in for Charles Grodin, and this guy goes on the air and he's like, "Penis, vagina, fuck, shit, fuck." Pull him off the air. I know, and that's, Don't give him a second chance. And that's the thing. I laughed at that too, but the problem with this movie is I never trust the movie in those moments where it seems like it's trying to be funny, that it's actually trying to be funny, because I don't know what it's trying to do at any given point. Yeah, no, comedy is absurdity, and that should have been where the absurdity comes in, is that Dan Aykroyd's doing all the wrong things, but everyone loves him. Like in That's My Boy. I'm referencing a lot of movies that like people universally hate, but I'm I'm going to say well, That's My Boy is a great movie. To be fair, we both heartily <laughs> enjoyed That's My Boy. I did love That's My Boy. But that movie does it great because fucking that's what I'm talking about with this movie with a likable character. Adam Sandler in that movie is like the most unlikable person you've ever met. But the joke of the movie is that everyone treats him like he's great. And that's why it's fucking funny. This movie, Dan Aykroyd sucks. Everyone treats him like he's great and it doesn't make any fucking sense. That's the thing, because this, this never really establishes itself as an absurd, wacky world until it wants to. And then Charles Grodin's raving a gun around and shit. But it's like, you want to have it be almost like a grounded comedy where you can have moments of pathos, like, oh, Walter Matthau's gonna kill himself. He wants to have everything, but he doesn't know how to do anything, so it's all just a mishmash of fucking garbage. Yeah. Well, it, okay, so, alright. <laughs> I want to talk about this movie now. Well, I want to get to Walter <clears throat> Matthau, because you mentioned a lack of adversaries. That's a complication. Oh, this crazy guy recognizes a fellow crazy guy, and he recognizes the he's wearing prison-issue pants, he's like, I know you're a con man, so I'm gonna make your life hell. And then I'm gonna hang around with you and do nothing for the rest of the fucking movie, just kind of be in the background. But that was one thing I wanted to talk about. So Dan Aykroyd escapes from the mental hospital, like, super easily, as if he knew he could do it all along. Because, like I said, he gets that call, and he's like, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. He's in a fucking mental hospital. How's he going to be there tomorrow? He's He's been fucking Victoria Jackson, who helps him escape. <laughs> Victoria Jackson, fellow SNL alum. One of four SNL alums in this film, after... Uh... <laughs> We have uh, Dan Aykroyd, Victoria Jackson, Chevy Chase, as mentioned, and uh, Terry Gross. I think we, I don't know if we mentioned she was Mary Gross. Gross. Oh, Mary. Why did I say Terry Gross? Mary Gross. Mary Gross. Yeah, Mary Gross and Ari Gross. No <laughs> Double relation, the Gross. Wait, they're not related. I don't believe are they? No, that was one of the IMDb trivia's that this movie stars two Grosses, but they are in no way related. And the co-star of Gross Point Blank. Holy shit. This movie is gross. I'll give and, it that. And Charles Grodin, whose name kind of sounds like gross. <laughs> yeah. Did we... Okay, we watched this for Dan Aykroyd, right? <clears throat> um, yes. It's weird was... because we pulled it like two weeks ago, and then we did the Norm tribute, and it threw us, threw us all out of whack. Because I was trying to think, like, Charles Grodin just died. Did we pull this, like, mm. a month or so ago for Charles Grodin? And, like, are only now just watching it? Like... No, we, or is that we, just a coincidence? No, we pulled Dan Aykroyd, so that's why we're watching this movie. But yeah, we got, also got Victoria Jackson, Mary Gross, and Chevy Chase. Which we got to talk about the Chevy Chase condom commercial. But first, Dan Aykroyd escapes from the mental hospital, and he gets on the plane. And you know they've bought him a ticket, so I guess Dan Aykroyd doesn't need any money at all. They solve that by saying like, "Oh yeah, everything's comped." And there's a running joke of him. You know, he keeps ordering a whole bunch of shit. But Dan Aykroyd gets on the plane. He steals some guy's coat. He steals a lady's scarf. Never on the... Does he realize he's still wearing prison-issued pants? Well, I mean... I can't, yeah, I, <laughs> he couldn't have found a way to cover up the prison-issued pants that he's wearing? He gets off the plane and he's like, Yeah, I'm the psychiatrist I'm pretending to be. And no one recognizes that he's wearing prison pants. Except Walter Matthau, because Walter Matthau, I guess, went to the same... Uh, was in prison as well. And he recognizes the pants. And I guess that's... Yeah, and then Walter Matthau like, is like, hey, I know who you are. And they're like buddies together, but they don't do anything. I don't understand what the fuck Walter Matthau is doing in this movie. Well, there's a point where... Because uh, initially, and I thought this was weird kind of in retrospect, 
uh, like he gets off the plane and the the woman who I think is supposed to be his love interest, but kind of, kind of not. Well, that's Donna Dixon, his real life wife. Oh, I didn't know that. But because uh, at the end, like she's like, no, fuck you. I'm, I'm leaving. Uh, but she's like, she's there to pick him up. And she's got the sign, Dr. Baird on the sign. And she immediately is like, that's, there's no fucking way that's Dr. Baird because of the way he's dressed. But he's like, oh, yeah, by the way I'm dressed, it's, uh, oh, the fashion hasn't come to you yet. It's uh, Bohemian Chic or something. And it's like, it's as if everyone else that he encounters after that point until he gets a new suit also somehow heard that lie. <laughs> and is like, oh, well, clearly that's Bohemian Chic. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just this guy just floats through everything it, as if, like, there was a fucking plan. And that's why it was just so, I knew this movie was going to be shitty from the inciting incident, when he gets that phone call and they're like, hey, uh, come to L.A. and fill in for Charles Grodin. And he's like, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. I was like, well, how is this fucking plan going to work? And then it just started working. And then I was just like, I guess this guy's not going to run into any fucking, like, you know, uh, obstacles at all. He's just going to luck into all of this shit. Like Sinbad, there were points where, like, Sinbad, like, that was the joke. Like, he was going to get caught. Like, he had to give that speech in front of the class about shit he didn't know about. There would be a perfect time for that when Dan Aykroyd sits behind the thing and they're like, okay, talk about psychiatry. And he's like, uh... Penis and vagina? Yeah, and and that would have... Even if the movie took a left turn there and he became, like, a famous shock jock, I think I would have enjoyed it. I started, like, picking up interest at that point, but then I immediately lost interest when they seemed to not do anything with that. Yeah, there's a lot of moments, like like when he gets all the people on the bus, and it's like, I'm going to solve all your problems, but it's like, I'm actually just going to talk to one lady about her dream, and then nothing's going to come of that. You know, yeah, it just seemed like there's a lot more they could have done with every possible angle of this movie. There was a point where, with everything kind of going right for him, I was actually expecting, like, like, remember that, speaking of Adam Sandler movies, Anger Management, which I don't think we have watched for this podcast? No, but, but I, like, I did have seen that. The end of that movie, it's like, it was all a scam, and we knew the whole time, and we were all trying to get... Like, I was waiting for that, like, the lawyers were in on it and knew all the time that he wasn't who he's saying he was, and, like, we're... Like, something like that. I was waiting for that to be the end, to justify all the bullshit, and then it just didn't happen. Yeah, or, like, maybe they were trying to cancel Charles Grodin's show anyway, so that's Yeah, why like, it's a producer's a kind of thing, where, like, yeah, we're gonna get somebody to sabotage him. Yeah, like, so that would make it make sense of why this fucking guy who doesn't seem to be a real psychiatrist is pretending to be a real psychiatrist it would at least make the nonsense make sense a little bit um but we're watching the movie in the background and we got to talk what okay they get into a limo dan Aykroyd gets off the plane he meets donna dixon they get into a limo they're going to the fucking radio station for no reason whatsoever dan Aykroyd's like i'm gonna turn on a tv (laughs) what's on What's on the TV here? Click. <laughs> and it's so, it's because it's a, it's a TV in their car, in their limo, which was not a common thing, I think, even at this time. It's not even a common thing today. But it's like they had to have it here in this scene. They couldn't have just waited until they got to the hotel and he happened to turn on the TV and it's in the background, which would have at least made sense contextually. It's no, we have to get this out of the way right now. And for some reason, this is the only place to do it. So they have a TV in a limo, they turn it on, and it's Chevy Chase in a commercial for Mentor Condoms. <laughs> but when, when, It's not like, like you said, you teased it uh, later. Later, oh no, I didn't, you didn't tease it, but later on, Dan Aykroyd is in a plane and he turns on the TV. But he sees, like, the news on that's, like, spurring on the plot. This is, he just turns on the TV and there's Chevy Chase selling condoms. And they play the con. I have to drop a clip of it here because... I felt like I missed a lot of shit because they're playing the Chevy Chase condom commercial in the background and Donna Dixon and Dan Aykroyd are talking in the foreground. I can't focus on two things. And if on the TV, Chevy Chase is selling condoms, I'm going to pay attention to that. I just like that. Yeah, it was covering up some like much needed exposition. Like the, the thing that makes all of this make sense was in that scene, but we couldn't focus on it because Chevy Chase was talking about condoms. That's what I felt because then after that scene, I was like, Wait, what? Donna Dixon and Dan Aykroyd were talking, and they were on the way to the thing. I feel like I missed the whole setup to the plot, because I, I, I couldn't not pay attention to what they turned on the fucking TV. An important message from Mentor Condoms. Well, Dear son, the other day I was hotel. rummaging what? through your room. What's the number? There was an odor the coming out, and I wanted to see if your hamster had died. 
turned out to be just your old gym socks. Then at 3.30, you'll be at the radio then station. Then I ran a What is it, like a panel show, me with a bunch mementos. of other doctors? And it's a, a call-in show, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. A vending machine photo of you and Sally, and a partially used box of mentor condoms. My favorite brand. It made me proud to think that my son is one of those people who can have his cake and eat it too. Son, I'm proud of you. And I'm proud of your choice of condoms. Love, Dad. And to be fair, uh, the condom commercial is easily... I was going to say it's the funniest thing in the movie. It's really the only joke that works in the movie. But it's not really a joke. I mean, it's not a joke in the movie. It's a joke outside of the movie. No, it's an entirely self-contained thing. It almost feels like they recorded it for something else, and they were like, we didn't get a chance to put that in some other movie we made, so let's put it here. But yeah, it's just... Uh, his father approves of his son's brand of condoms. <laughs> Chevy Chase, in this condom commercial, he sneaks into his son's drawer and he sees these little tiny baby condoms. <laughs> and he pulls one out and it's very tiny and he just starts flipping the tip, like, wistfully. <laughs> and then there's a voiceover where it's like, Ah, my son has the right brand of condoms. That's my boy. And disconnected from everything else, just taking that, like, that's a solid, weird, absurd comedy bit that I liked in a movie that has pretty much nothing else like that. No, this movie isn't fucking funny at all. But that scene, like, it seemed like (laughs) that was cut out of Fletch. Or, like, Chevy Chase just did that on set and Michael Ritchie was like, Ah, I still have this leftover Chevy Chase footage. I'll throw it in this movie. But you can't just turn on the TV and give me, like, something better than what I'm watching. Okay, just to be clear, we did establish the plot. So Dan Aykroyd escapes from the asylum, takes on the identity of his asshole therapist uh, in order to take over for the radio show for Charles Grodin, who is another asshole therapist who's going on sabbatical for being depressed. Uh, And then he becomes successful, and then Charles Grodin and the other doctor meet at a symposium, find out the scam, and then rush back to... Well, they rush back, but it turns out Charles Grodin really wants to rush back to kill his lawyer who's fucking his wife, Mary Gross. That's the yeah, plot of the movie. I, I, yeah, and so Charles, why, so Charles Grodin's mad at Dan Aykroyd at the end. Why? Because he stole his money. Because he asked for like $20,000 up front or something. And he's like, that's my $20,000. Okay, so he's just mad that it went to the, ro- the wrong Dr. Baird. I guess, yeah. Well, because it's like... I don't but, know, because, yeah, I guess he would have lost it anyway if, like, th- this was all on the up and up. Charles Grodin was going to pay someone to fill in for him while he was on sabbatical. But then when he finds out that Dan Aykroyd is not a real psychiatrist, he gets upset as if his money was stolen. But he was going to give that money to the real Dr. Baird. And also, Dr. Baird, Dan Aykroyd's been filling in for you fine. Like, public relation-wise, you could just, you know... Fucking wipe this all off. You can go back to work and be Dr. Charles Grodin on the radio again. I mean, like, you're not anything, hurt at all by this. They, what they should have done is he noticed how successful the other guy was and realized he was being replaced. It's like, I'm going to kill you before you take away my, my livelihood. Yeah, no, he's mad at Dan Aykroyd for the wrong reasons, uh, just in a movie way. Like, the better story to tell would be Charles Grodin is upset because he's ruining his career. Yeah. And it's, it, it could be like a Job thing, like he's losing his marriage, he's losing his career, and it's like, and I blame you for all of it. You know, I don't, maybe if, if you could even make it a way where, like, he was somehow, Dan Aykroyd was fucking Mary Gross or something, you know, like it was all his fault. Yeah, which, coincidentally, we talked about it while we were watching the movie, a much better movie with the same plot and Charles Grodin taking care of business. Wait, is Charles Grodin the guy in that too? Charles Grodin is the guy that Jim Belushi, <laughs> in taking care of business... I believe, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but Jim Belushi, uh, like, gets Charles Grodin's briefcase and then, like, takes Charles Grodin's identity and then Charles Grodin switches places. So it's almost like a city mouse, country mouse type deal where Charles Grodin takes over Jim Belushi's shitty life and Jim Belushi takes over Charles Grodin's life. But they do kind of the same shit because there's a scene where I think Jim Belushi sings the national anthem at a baseball game. Like, he becomes, like, he skyrockets to fame as Charles Grodin. Yeah, we were talking about that because, yeah, just the similar plots. Uh, we've, been, we've been threatening to watch Taking Care of Business for a while, but I guess couldn't find it. I, I think the last link I sent you should work. It seemed to work for me anyway. Um, I sent yeah, you the second m- one. This movie um, made me want to watch Taking Care of Business. So, yeah, if we pull Jim Belushi's name out of the hat, I'm we, thinking we got to so, watch yeah. that. 
That being said, I can almost guarantee you that movie's gonna be just as shitty as this. Your your hist- your nostalgic memories of it, notwithstanding. Yeah, but there's no fucking me, way that's good. It'd give me something to talk about. I don't have anything to talk about this except. Oh, can we talk about when Dan Aykroyd? This this is when I wrote down. I was taking notes in my phone. I wrote down what the fuck am I watching? Because at one point, Dan Aykroyd is describing how to change the transmission on a car, while the guy on the other line is like going. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm watching Dan Aykroyd talk a guy off with car repair. Go ahead. You're on the air with Dr. Lawrence Baird. We have Yuri from Encino. Go ahead, Yuri. Hello, doctor. I have a problem satisfying my partners. What business are you in? No, no, I mean the other ones. You mean sexual partners? I mean just the mention of the word sex and I... Oh, 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 okay, it sounds to me, sitting here several miles away, that you have a case of premature ejaculation and a pretty severe one at that. The first thing I'd suggest is not to feel too bad about it. You know, it happens to all men at some point in their lives. But mine's been going on 25 years. I can't even look at a woman. I can't even think about sex. Oh, 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 oh. Doctor, it just happened again. Oh, okay, Yuri, just, just calm down now and, and relax. Let's try something here. Think about something that could not possibly arouse you. For instance, um, fixing the transmission in a 1961 Dodge Shift-O-Matic. That's what always works for me. I like to mentally put on my overalls, take my mechanic's palette, slide along the floor under the drive shaft, past the universal joint, grab the joint on the way by and wiggle it back and forth, check it for play, then get to the bell housing and take out your ratchet, unscrew all the bolts, and separate the bell housing from the rest of the apparatus, and there you can feel for splines and spread the planetary gears. Okay, Yuri, you are getting sexually excited as I sit here and talk about transmission repair. Yeah. Which, that That's feels a like a Dan Aykroyd bit, but it's just, yeah, it, again, like with everything, it's just, it doesn't belong, and nothing belongs in this movie, because there's no movie for it to belong to. Yeah. You know, also, they never did the, jo- the job of just making it a movie. Also, so, getting back to this radio thing, so, like, Dan Aykroyd, he, he goes on, to, on the radio, and he starts to become a shock jock, and then, like, the, the phone lines switch up, or uh, the, the switchboard lights up. Who's who the fuck's calling a radio? Back in the eighties, a lot of people called. That, I mean, that was the whole setup for like Frasier. You know, people call into the radio. I, I know, I guess but they, they still do. But it doesn't make any sense. So, like, you're listening to the radio, and like, you're listening to say like a, a, a Frasier Crane show because that's what this is. He's taken over for Charles Grodin, who I guess hosts a radio call-in show where people ask advice from a licensed psychiatrist well just what that was a thing like dr laura and dr ruth i think both had radio shows yeah i guess but those were well yeah i never listened to them so i can't really speak on but it doesn't make any sense that people would call into the radio with their problems but also you're listening to this you know you say you're driving in your car or you're you're at work and you're listening to the radio and all of a sudden it's a new guy and he starts saying penis and vagina then you're like i gotta fucking call the radio station and talk to this guy well, here's the thing, though. Why is the switchboard lighting up? Well, the switchboard lighting up because everybody wants to talk to it. I'm not even as, as, as concerned about that from a logic standpoint. Because they also mentioned that like they're getting calls in that they initially assume are complaints. So not calls directly to the line to talk to them, but like just calling into the radio. But then they're like, no, they're all positive. So there are a bunch of people listening to this and going, penis and vagina, I got to call up this radio station's corporate line just to tell them that they're doing a great job. <laughs> I know, that doesn't make any sense. And hey. it happens in a lot of movies. Like you'll hear that, like someone will say fuck on the radio and then it's like, oh my God, the switchboards. But who's fucking going, ah, I gotta call him and tell him I like penis. Keep up that good penis and vagina work. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep. Good thing I know the number to my local radio station off the top of my head. And that's the thing, because that wouldn't be the number, like, presumably the the, the radio show itself would give out the number. Like, if you want to call to talk to them, call this number. But it would be a separate number to call in just to, like, tell them you you like what he said fuck. They have to look that number, and they don't have, like, fucking smartphones in the 80s, so they had to, like, I don't know where you would even find that information. They had to run down to the fucking lobby of their building, get a phone book, rifle like, through it, and go, okay, okay, now now I have to run back upstairs because we don't have fucking cordless phones in the 80s. All right, so I'm going to rip the page off out of the phone book, run up to my house. 
Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep. That guy who says fuck, thumbs up. Oh, man. He made a guy come with car discussion. <laughs> I need more of this. I love this program. <laughs> like, you're just sitting there listening to the radio. You're like, oh, man, this is a good radio show. I have to tell someone about it. Oh. Do you do that in the movie theater? And you're like, ah, <laughs> dear Jerry Bruckheimer, I love your movie. <laughs> Send. But it's at the same time, it's like, uh, you know, when you have like the number on the side of like the, the, the box of, you know, freezer food that you you just ate. It's like, call us with comments. You know, there are people that are just like, yeah, I'm going to dial that number and talk about the Salisbury steak I just ate. Yeah. Or like the how's my driving on the back of trucks. You just, <laughs> I got to I got to call that guy's boss. I just wanted him. I just wanted you to know his driving is really good. He obeyed all the signals and I had no problems with it. He's driving adequately. <laughs> yeah, just nothing special. Nothing bad, nothing good. Really nothing to comment about. Just thought I'd comment about it. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, he stayed between the lines. Bye. But yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, it's, so it's like, it, it, there's a real world component to it, but I still don't care. No, but yeah, that doesn't make sense. And then that got me thinking about like fucking radio call-in shows. It was... Who's calling the goddamn radio and being like, hey, uh, doctor such and such, uh, I have a small dick. <laughs> like, well, that shit's like... gotta be fake, right? Like, love line shit. Like, they gotta Is pay it? people. I, I never thought of it that way, because, like, I was always thinking of, like, um, uh, who's the guy, Art Bell? He did, like, the conspiracy show where, like, people would call in and be like, I was abducted by aliens. I don't know, do you think that shit's fake too? I just assumed there are a bunch of crazy, weird people that would call into that. Yeah, I guess if you're the kind of person who would call the radio, you would probably be a fucking moron and be fun to listen to on the radio. So I guess that's that's the point of it. But I guess it could just as easily be... I mean, I never thought about that. You think of, like, reality shows. Yeah, it's all fake. You know, my, I never even thought of it that way. Yeah, it's. I'm guessing it's gotta be, like, some, you know, fucking improv actors get paid, like, 20 bucks to call into Loveline and... Talk about their premature ejaculation or something. Because, like, a real guy with, like, fucking sex problems, what, are you going to talk the radio? You know, like, the fucking radio goes out to people, right? Here's my embarrassing sex problems. Well, I think they, I mean, the idea is that they call in with a pseudonym. They don't actually give their real name. Yeah, but I know your voice. If I heard your voice on the radio and you were talking about your tiny dick, I'd be like, hey, that's Ben. That's what I have podcasts for, to talk about my tiny dick. <laughs> be like, don't tell anybody. Every time I'm on the podcast with my brother George, I think about my tiny dick. Ooh, I've said too much. I mean, what else am I going to think about? The couch trip? Of course not. My uh, tiny dick is way more interesting than the movie we just watched. Yeah, man. Yeah, this movie sucked. Um, I got nothing more to say about not, it. I Well, I'm trying to think. Just the fact, that, like, the way it ended with, like, he gets away, but then Walter Matthau is on the Hollywood sign. He's going to jump and kill himself. And it's like that, nothing set that up and nothing paid off with it. It was just like, we needed a third act where he's hanging from a rope and where we seem to wrap up some kind of emotional core that was never established. Yeah, I feel, this movie kept making me feel like I was missing something, like I wasn't paying close enough attention, but I think it was just bad. And then, like, the romantic subplot that wasn't, where it's like, it seems like they're trying to get him and the girl together, and then, like, uh, she wants to date him, but then she knows he's a crook, but still kind of wants to date him, and then at the end, she's like, I'm gonna help you escape, but then fuck you, I'm gone. It's just like, I don't think, even, like, the shitty, like, tropey, like, by-the-numbers version of this story that I kind of would have expected from any other director would have at least entertained me more than this because this I just couldn't even follow like at least if it were like more standard and mundane I'd have been able to follow it yeah I was always I was constantly confused by what was happening where we were how we got here and where the fuck we were going like and then I, it goes nowhere yeah like yeah when Walter Matthau's hanging off the Hollywood sign I was like did I miss like was there a scene where they mentioned the Hollywood sign and like, I know that's a callback to the first scene, but maybe I just wasn't paying attention because also the movie's so fucking dull. Well, there's a scene where, you, like, Walter Matthau's looking at the Hollywood sign, and it's just really this weird edit point where, like, it keeps flashing. 
but I don't know if, yeah, what, other than I think there is a level of this movie that is of utter failure. I, I think they've talked about, uh, um, Michael Ritchie is like a satirical director. Like he likes to talk do like social commentary and satire in his movies. And I think there's a lot of like really basic, like there's a basic joke in here, which is the psychiatrists are just as kooky as the, the crazy people. Like that's the end of the movie. Like when you see like the, the, all the doctors, Charles Grodin and the other guy are like in the, in the asylum now. And it's like, yeah, isn't it funny? Cause they're psychiatrists, but now they're being treated like their own patients. Cause it's fucking satire. Cause, uh, cause Hollywood's a kooky, crazy place. I feel like that's what it was trying to do, but that's so lame. Even if you did it right. And he's such a bad storyteller that he can't even really establish the things he needs to do to do that. So it's like, it doesn't even come across and it's just this really lame fucking joke anyway. Oh, uh, I didn't think about that as like a, a satire on Beverly Hills culture because that was big in the 80s too. I mean, you had Beverly Hills Cop, you had like uh, Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Like it, just L.A. culture was becoming like a thing of parody itself. So I, maybe I'm not looking at it in the right lens. Like the real villain of this movie is California and their their way of living. Well, I feel like there's a, there's a line that Walter Matthau says – uh, when they were in the car, and I think it's like supposed to encapsulate the entire movie. And it's really hacky. Basically, he's like, I fought, he's a crazy person who used to be in an asylum. And he's like, I finally found a place where I fit in better than the nut house, Beverly Hills. Yeah. It's like, that's this entire movie, or at least what it was trying for. And that's so fucking hacky and shitty, but like, that's, I think that's all it is. Yeah. Uh, man, this movie sucked. <laughs> uh, let's see. Dan Aykroyd. Um, Dan Aykroyd sucks. Walter Matthau. Walter Matthau sucks in this movie. I never yeah. thought. I mean, there are movies that he's been in that I've not liked, but I've almost always liked his performance. I didn't even like his performance in this. No, I I didn't understand his character, and I I don't think Walter Matthau understood his character either. <laughs> like, no. I wouldn't be surprised if Walter Matthau like had no idea what this fucking movie was about, and he was just like, okay, I'm just gonna say these goddamn lines, I suppose. Well, he was yeah, in I, other Michael Ritchie movies. Obviously, he was in Bad News Bears and. Uh, I think he was in that survival survivors movie, wasn't that? Michael yeah, with, with Robin Williams. Yeah. yeah. So he, I guess he probably just did it as a favor to Michael Ritchie. Maybe, um, but yeah, no, I I was thinking the same thing. I've never disliked a Walter Matthau performance until this this movie. And I I would say that for pretty much. I mean, there, there's no. I mean, Charles Grodin is being Charles Grodin. I guess he's fine, but even then, he, it's like it's to nothing. His his shit didn't mesh like well nothing meshes well but his shit didn't mesh with the other movie uh, like I said at the end in the climax when you got Charles Grodin being all crazy and coming into the film it almost looks like Charles Grodin's coming in from another movie like Clifford somehow intersected with the couch trip but I mean he's always in a wackier movie but at least he's I would say he's the most consistent character he is consistently in that other, whatever that other movie is that's probably better than this one. You know, he's not bouncing around in the way that, like, I can't get a read on any of the other characters. Yeah. Because um, well, it almost does feel like two movies. Every time they cut from Dan Aykroyd to Charles Grodin, it seems like a different film. Like, I'm following different characters. Well, Maybe yeah, just because he... the movie's so boring, I'm like, I'm forgetting Dan Aykroyd's in the movie. And I'm just like, all right, I'll follow Charles Grodin for five minutes. And that, that feels like the plot of a Charles Grodin movie where he's a, a psychiatrist who has a nervous breakdown. Like, he's the protagonist of that movie. And I think that would make sense. But that's the side story of this other movie that we don't care about that it's like just haphazardly told. Yeah. Uh, worst part about this fucking movie, the poster. You look at the poster to this movie and it's all three guys in a straight jacket and you're like, oh, this movie gonna be crazy. Man, just a fucking like, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I was expecting well, that's, something fucking fun. We might as well call that house guest syndrome because that's the thing with house guest. He's coming out of the mailbox, and it sets an expectation, and you have to live up to that expectation. I would argue House Guest doesn't quite live up to the, the, the poster. <laughs> and you, you are wrong. No, you are wrong. House Guest is a great poster, and House Guest is a great movie. I'm not saying it's not a great poster. I'm just saying it's not a great movie. All right. I, yeah, I got I got nothing else for this. This, uh, this was a bad experience. <clears throat> yeah. No, I hated the couch trip. Worst movie we've ever watched? Hey, uh, not the worst movie we've ever watched by far. Probably doesn't even make the list. Can uh, can this was a bad experience just be the new title for this podcast? Because <laughs> that's pretty much the end of every one of them. Yeah. Um, I, 
Yeah, because I was thinking, like, kind of like how uh, fucking sex tuplets, you know? Like, I was expecting so much more, and I was completely let down. But, like, the movies that made our worst list, like, fucking epic movie. Man, I, I could talk for days about epic movie. Fucking Couch Trip. I ain't got a goddamn thing to say about that. Maybe this is the worst movie we've ever watched. Well, I, we were determining worse by just basic quality level. Worse and interesting aren't the same things. I mean, or level of interest and level of quality yeah. are not the same thing. But, like, if you, if I was going to compare... Dr. Detroit made the worst list, but I would watch Dr. Detroit ten times again before I watched The Couch Trip. See, no. I, well, I, I would kill myself if it's for that choice. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what I can also do? Just forget The Couch Trip ever exists. I think I'll do that. That's... Yeah, <laughs> Gun to your head, Dr. Detroit or uh, Couch Trip. No, keep that gun to my head and pull the fucking trigger. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, why are you giving me these choices? Well, why don't you pick a number? 110, 110 to, to 153. 153. Uh, 132. 132 on the spreadsheet. Bill Murray! There you go. Let's watch The Man Who Knew Too Little or some other shit that we'll hate. Was that elephant movie we tried to watch? No. All right. You know what? We can pass on Bill Murray if we don't find anything good. That's the thing. We don't have to settle for shit. That's my new rule going forward when we pick movies. It's like, if we get to a point where we're like, this, eh. No, let's take our fucking time and find something we actually want to fucking watch. I mean, he was he in the second Garfield movie too? <laughs> Were you listening to what I was saying? No, what was that? What's happening? <laughs> I said, let's find a movie we want to watch. See, like, the interesting movies here, like like Mad Dog and Glory, I'd like to watch again, but that's not a podcast yeah, movie. Yeah, no. Um, I would just fucking love to watch Kingpin. Wild Things. I've never seen it. Again, is it a podcast-worthy movie? It might be. Isn't he, like, a detective in that? Isn't he, like, the hard-nosed, like, noir detective? Yeah. That might be interesting, actually, now that I think about it. It's... I mean, it's gonna be us, two, uh, two lifelong platonic brothers watching a, a threesome. Yeah, and Kevin Bacon's dick. <laughs> oh, I thought this was written by, uh, what's-his-name? Uh... Oh, Esther Yeah. House? Yeah, I, I would've figured, too, but no. Oh, Okay. And now I'm less interested. I thought it was going to be like a showgirl situation, but I don't know. I I might enjoy some wild things. Um, I mean, nothing else is really looking all. Oh, Passion Play is a notoriously terrible film. Oh yeah, I watched that, but yeah, it's boring. Like, it's, yeah, that might be fun to talk about, but I don't want to watch it. I've never seen it, but I know of it. It's the, the yeah the. Megan Fox is an angel movie. Yeah, she just has fucking angel wings. Um, I mean, I would watch Wild Things. I'd watch... Uh, uh, I'm never watching The Dead Don't Die again. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, Wild Things was the only thing that popped out in my mind, or popped out to me. I mean, it could be, like, weird schlocky. I, I, I mean... I just want to watch something I will enjoy watching. Like, even if it's not, like, I'm in that kind of, like, I need a mystery men type of deal. Well, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I, well, I think It was, like, sex tuplets, and then this. I need, like, I need a mystery man. I need something, like, I don't even care if the podcast... I just want to enjoy watching something so I can enjoy movies again. I don't know if that's going to be Wild Things, but... The thing about Wild Things is it's not, like, a comedy or anything. Like, we, I think we've been getting into this weird kick of, like here's a bad comedy that might be interesting due to its badness, but that's so rare. Whereas, like, this might be funny for different reasons. Yeah. Uh... Maybe, or maybe not. I don't even know. It could just be a shitty thriller movie instead of a shitty comedy. But there's nothing else that's popping out at me. Yeah, I know. I've been through it twice. Uh... I'm going to leave this decision up to you. It's Wild Things or a, an episode of SNL that you pick. Okay. Uh, let me go through season two. It's just I don't like this. <laughs> this isn't this isn't my SNL. No, neither do I. That's what I'm saying. Let's watch Nev Campbell and and uh, Denise Richards fuck Matt Damon. Okay. In the pool. All right. Eh, shit. All right. Let's just fucking do wild things. Fuck it. 
They're fucking in a pool. It's sexy. Uh, and I think there's some murder and shit involved as well. I think that's all their business on the uh, shed. Yep, that's all we got. All right, so until we see you again, get off the shed. Get off the shed. What do you want for nothing? Rubber biscuit? Bow, bow.